0: dismissed, and good morning to all of you. Oh, all right, didn't fall over. Good morning. It's good to see you. Uh, Turn with me to page 1082 of the Pew Bibles. We're going to be reading that first section in Acts chapter 3 this morning. And if you're able to stand, would you stand for the reading of God's word together? Now Peter and John were going up to the temple at the hour of prayer, the ninth hour. And a man lame from birth was being carried, whom they laid daily at the gate of the temple that is called the Beautiful Gate, to ask alms of those entering the temple. Seeing Peter and John about to go into the temple, he asked to receive alms. And Peter directed his gaze at him, as did John, and said, look at us. And he fixed his attention on them, expecting to receive something from them. But Peter said, I have no silver and gold. But what I do have, I give to you. In the name of Jesus Christ of Nazareth, rise up and walk. Him. Father, we thank you for this passage this morning that you providentially scheduled for us as we set out on our journey and through the book of Acts. God, would you show us our desperate need for you? God, we thank you that you meet that desperate need. God, would you help us to behold you? God, would you help us this morning to worship you? And God, would you speak through my mouth this morning for all of us that we might have desire to live according to your word. And so we thank you and praise you, and we pray this all in Jesus' name, amen. You can have a seat. Thank you. So I need to be honest. I'm glad that foliage season this year wasn't that great. I was too busy to enjoy it. Maybe some of you were as well. But the tourists who came here a couple weeks ago, they were very intense to see every dying leaf fall to their death. And they were all out. You probably were driving through areas of this county we live in and saw your roads clogged. Or people crossing all these crosswalks. And you have to slow down to let them go by. But I feel like foliage was kind of like the projects of my home. Those of you who have uh, been coming to our small group, you've probably seen that one kitchen cabinet that doesn't have a door on it? Well, we used to have four kitchen cabinets that doesn't have a door on it. But I just walk by, even though the door is actually fixed in our basement, I just need to bring it upstairs, and there's six screws that just need to go in real quick. It would take me less than two minutes to do. But I just keep passing by and don't notice that it needs to be fixed. Or maybe you've gone to a store recently, or a store that you frequent a lot and you realize you buy your stuff and you walk out the door and you see that same cashier every time. You don't know their story, you don't know their name, you get in your car and you go home. Today, we find in the book of Acts our first of many miracles. None bears more resemblance to the work and ministry of Jesus than this one here in our passage this morning. Where in the Gospels, Jesus healed by his own authority. And we see in this passage this morning that the apostles heal through Jesus' authority, through his name. And the main point of our passage this morning is not the miracle, and I'm sorry to disappoint you, but I figure it's better to tell you up front. There's a greater purpose. We can't pass by too quickly. Where miracles in the book of Acts, they serve a greater purpose in the ministry of God through his people. To be a ministry of the Word confirming God's presence as a sign that enables belief for you and for me. So today we'll see three things. You can follow along in the back of your bulletin. We see a need. A need is seen pointing to a need to look to Jesus who meets our greatest need of repentance so that we might worship And so during this time of worship, it's three o'clock in the afternoon, they go to the center of Jerusalem, the center of worship for the Jewish people in the middle of Jerusalem. And the spirit, as you remember from last week, is upon them. And so they go, as Jesus said they would in Acts 1.8, that you will be my witnesses in Jerusalem and Judea and Samaria and to the ends of the earth. And so they start in Jerusalem when the spirit has come upon them to be a witness and this is the place where large ca- crowds are gathering in this city, giving of sacrifices, devoting themselves to prayer. And this is an opportunity for James and John to bear witness to who Jesus is and what he has done. For Royalton, it would be something like Old Home Day, or Bethel, like Forward Festival, or Tunbridge, like going to the fair, where all the people of our towns are gathering for the purpose to witness of who Jesus is and what he has done. Peter and John go to where the people are, and they encounter a man. He's destitute, his friends are kind, he's unable to get to the temple himself, and so they bring him to the temple and they set him right by the front door. And he starts begging for help. And alms was a particularly meritorious act for the Jewish people. They were commanded by God in the Old Testament to give to those who are in need. And those who felt pious about themselves, they wanted to look better or to be devoted to God, they would give of these people from the resources that they had. And the language, if you didn't hear me emphasize it when I was reading the scripture of sight, is all over this passage. That's why we sang some songs to prepare our hearts and minds, where we sang the words, Behold Him there, the risen Lamb. Or the new song that we sing, Behold Him. And we have this desperate need that we sing uh, about as well, to prepare our hearts and minds to see what our desperate Need is. Hence the reason for the sermon title this morning in your bulletin The Focus of the Church. The man sees them. He appeals for help and continually, the language here is that he is constantly asking them before he gets too far for them to hear. And they see him. Peter looks at him into his eyes. In verse 5, he fixes his eyes upon Peter and Peter says, look at us. He's been waiting for this. He's caught a fish in Peter. It's like when UPS arrives, I get excited. What did Amazon bring me today? Or my kids, you can't wait for Christmas morning. Like, can we just open our presents at six o'clock in the morning? Or high school seniors, right? They wait for that college acceptance letter and they can't wait to open it. This guy has been waiting for a long time. And Peter looks into his eyes and he says, I don't have silver or gold. Imagine his disappointment of that first phrase. That's what he wants, right? He probably going through his mind. Okay, can you get out of the way? You had me look at you, but now I want to look for somebody else who can actually help me with the need that I had. I'm not here for a chit chat. I'm here to get the silver or gold that you have disappointed me with not having yourself to give me. But he can't see clearly. But Peter knows what his true need is. He says, rise up and walk. And then Peter extends out a hand and he says, in the name of Jesus, which is more than just a title, it invokes the power of Jesus himself, stand up. And Jesus is continuing his ministry that he had given in the, uh, the Gospels and now that ministry is now be given and executed through the church. And the man leaps up and where does he go? He goes into the temple with Peter and John. In Leviticus 21 it says that no man who is lame may actually enter the temple. This man has been lame from the womb. He has never gone inside the temple. There's no shaking off the pain. There's no stretching or warming up his muscles. He stands up, jumps up, and excitingly enters the temple. The first time to worship his God. As if nothing was ever wrong with his body, where Peter's act of love changed this man's life. He was desperate. And Peter saw Jesus use these same words. If you know the story in Mark chapter one, Peter's mother-in-law was ill, and this is the words that Jesus said, or that Mark records. Jesus took her hand and lifted her up. So, Peter has seen Jesus model this very same thing, and he is modeling his Savior. And this whole scene is fulfilling messianic prophecy from the book of Isaiah with the same words used in the Greek translation of the Old Testament from Isaiah. Then the leap, or sorry, then will the lame leap like a deer. You ever seen a happy animal? They jump around, they're all excited. This is what is taking place. This guy does not care but then he is seen by other folks in the temple. The crowd recognize that's the beggar that's been sitting there day after day after day, amazed, they are not sure what to do. Maybe as they walk by him, "Uh, can't help you today friend. Or maybe they just avoided eye contact and walked on by, or maybe they whispered to their spouse, he'll just use it for drugs they probably didn't have hope for him either. They probably said, I wonder if he's really crippled. It's probably a ruse. The apostles, they saw a need, and they met the need through Jesus, and a new era has begun. Through through the apostles, a new life is available, available to the marginalized, to the desperate, so they might worship. And the crowd sees this. And I think we can learn from Peter's tactic here. Where we are called to take that same mission that the church has to the ends of the earth, including the areas that we live in. And so during our local events that I already mentioned, I encouraged us as a church to go and be attuned to what God is doing in the lives of the people that you interact with so that you might be strategic like James I'm sorry like John and Peter whereas we have conversations with people that we consider God's providence in interacting with other people that he might direct through us to someone in need so that we might be able to serve them but that was a couple months ago that all those events took place so what do we do now Well, meeting needs happens in the everyday, ordinary walks of life. In Luke chapter 5, verses 1 through 11, Jesus met some guys that were working. They were just doing their normal job that they'd done for years and years. And Peter was there. These guys were fishing by a lake. And Jesus told Peter, after he'd spent a long night out on the lake, catching nothing, Hey, drop your nets. And if you can imagine, Peter probably had the same reaction that this young beggar had. I've been sitting here forever, and we've caught nothing. But of course, we know the story that Peter he drops the nets, and they pick up the nets, and the f- nets are full of more fish that they could bring into the boat. To Peter, it probably seemed futile until he listened. The beggar walked. And Peter caught a boatload of fish. Everyday, ordinary walks of life, like fishing. But most importantly, in that passage in Luke, Jesus caught Peter. And he said, do not be afraid. From now on, you will be catching men. The fishermen were told to go fishing. A neglected worshiper went into worship, and Peter was used by God in our passage this morning to go catch a man, the lame beggar. So church, go fishing. Does your neighbor he need help stacking some wood? Does your coworker need assistance with a project? Maybe you're a stranger, you pass by on the side of the road, needs help changing attire. There are needs everywhere. It doesn't take long because if you think about it, you all have needs. You all have that list of projects, right? Going in the back of your mind, when are you going to be done with the sermon so I can get home and I can take care of those Sunday afternoon projects? We can go where the needs are, which is everywhere that people are, like Peter and John, to meet the needs around us. We don't look at our navels to help with the needs. We have to look up to see people before us. But if we say though, your tire is changed or your wood is stacked in Jesus's name, that would be kind of weird, right? We actually have to do something. I almost had to pray this morning, would you make the heater work here? But now it's working, we're all comfortable now. Peter, look into my eyes, is what he says. And then he extends a hand. Peter does something about the need before him. And so I've prayed for some of you in Jesus' name that you would be healed for some of the sicknesses or injuries or challenges that you have. And sometimes God answers those prayers. And other times he doesn't. You know my mother-in-law, she's got cancer. (laughs) I think she still does this morning. I'm pretty sure she does. This is not a formula to follow. Jesus saying prayers in Jesus' name is not like abracadabra, and it just happens. It's invoking the power of God so that there might be an opportunity to meet a greater need. And we trust God's knowledge. We trust God's power. And if he doesn't heal, we can assume that our sovereign, all-knowing, good God probably has a greater purpose for worship. We can see the greater purpose in this man, right? He goes to worship. And to do that, one must look to Jesus. Look at verse 12, the next section, or 11 and 12, we'll start there. While he clung to Peter and John, all the people, utterly astounded, ran together to them in the portico called Solomon's. And when Peter saw it, he addressed the people, Men of Israel, why do you wonder at this? Or why do you stare at us as though by our own power or piety we have made him walk? The God of Abraham, the God of Isaac, the God of Jacob, the God of our fathers, glorified his servant Jesus, who you delivered over and denied in the presence of Pilate when he decided to release him. But you denied the Holy and Righteous One and asked for a murderer to be granted to you, and you killed the author of life, whom God raised from the dead. To this we are witnesses, and his name, by faith in his name, has made this man's Strong, whom you see now and the faith that is through Jesus has given the man this perfect health in the presence of you all. You see that sight language still coming through. So this man is functionally resurrected, right? He's never been able to walk. He is standing up. This formerly lame man has a new life. He has a purpose and a reason to worship. Friends, our greatest hope is not walking or skipping or having a meal on the table or a roof over our head or our wood stacked, although we need it, right? Our greatest hope, our greatest longing, our desperate needs, friends, is Jesus Christ. The man rose, and Peter rises up to preach a sermon. Peter knows everyone around him is in desperate need of the words that are going to come out of his mouth. It's not sickness. We are in desperate need of resurrection as death is coming for all of us. Peter wants this crowd to look to Jesus. Peter sees sheep without a shepherd and has compassion on him, and he preaches truth to them. He preaches truth to them about Jesus. He was delivered over. He was denied, not only by the people that are hearing it, but Peter himself. He was nailed to a cross, a holy and righteous one, murdered for all the people who are hearing these words. He preaches truth about the life and ministry of Jesus and his work for them. And mentioning the God of Abraham and Isaac and Jacob he invokes the promises that this blessing of faith is for all the nations not just the people of Israel he preaches truth about God's faithfulness he says you handed him over you killed him disowned him rejected him denied him asked for a guilty man in lieu of the righteous one Peter preaches truth about the sinfulness of men perfectly sorry the crippled man is perfectly sound in body before the eyes of the crowd but Peter's saying forget that man that's jumping around like the happy animal forget even Peter who's preaching the sermon look to Jesus And I think we can learn from this too. As we engage with the world around us, ask yourself the question, what is the world around us not seeing? As we know the scriptures, as we submit ourselves to the scriptures, we can point those around us to Jesus as revealed in the scriptures. To gaze at him, to look to him. And we make this bridge for the gospel to impact their lives. So where does the world go for strength? They might look for safety or security or our favorite F word as Americans, freedom. Or we might look to our health. The cripple will die one day. He is temporarily alive. God is faithful. Everything else will pass away. Or consider biblical marriage between one man, one woman, before one God for one lifetime. Everything and every broken or even healthy marriage is an opportunity to talk about Jesus and his relationship with his bride, with you and me, his church. And so praise God for healthy marriage. Look to God in a broken marriage. Marriage points us to Christ in the church. This is a bridge for the gospel to say look to Jesus. Or family, it's rejected in our world, right? But will most consider that God is a patient father or he's tender like a mother? We're a church family that we can look to Jesus who makes family purposeful. And the brokenness around us can be redeemed through the gospel. Or another example, it is beautiful around here. We all know that. But the world is broken. The ramifications of the fall are all around us. If you don't believe me, turn on the news. If you don't watch it, you'll see things are broken. As opposed to joining our favorite pastime as Americans of complaining, we can point, folks, to the hope that we have in Christ In Romans 8, Paul says, not only are people groaning for something greater, but creation itself is groaning. Even, right, there's dead leaves out there. It's groaning. Paul says this, in hope, the creation itself will be set free from its bondage to corruption and attain the freedom of the glory of the children of God. Friends, Jesus is the hope of this world. And our message to anyone should be, look to him. But to look, or to see the needs around us, we need eyes to see ourselves. To see what the world desperately needs, we point people, including ourselves, to look at our Savior. He meets our greatest need of worship and repentance. And that's where Peter finishes his sermon. It's called good news because there's bad news, right? It's good news that God saves Sinners Not that God saves the righteous God saves sinners through the life death and resurrection of Jesus Including cripples the lame the mute Sinners need a savior look at verse 17 through the end of the chapter And now brothers Physical needs are real. We're not trying to minimize those around here. But spiritual needs are what is most important. Our greatest need, friends, is not knowing facts about Jesus, that he was crucified, that he died, that he was buried, that he rose. The greatest need that we all have is to believe the gospel and turn from our wickedness, otherwise known as repentance, that we've seen the last few weeks over and over again. Peter says in verse 17, our ignorance is not an excuse for sin. But I didn't know, or I forgot. I wasn't aware. We, some of us have learned the hard way, right? Not knowing the speed limit when you go through Woodstock, is not an excuse to get a big speeding ticket. I was reading one commentary, and he called it, ignorance, willful sin. Not only ignorance, but even God's predictions, his prophecies didn't exonerate them. Peter says they must repent. They turn to God to receive the true blessing that we can get from him in verse 19. Where'd the cripple go? He's left the story. He's no longer part of the scene because there's a greater purpose. We can't speed by and miss that. Repentance means turning away from one's former life, from the worship of idols to a new way of life, to faith and obedience in God. To have one's sins blotted out means to wipe it away where ancient writing was done on papyrus. You've probably learned about that in uh, basic world history, right, where the Egyptians would write on papyrus. But the ink that they used didn't have um, acid in it. And so ink could simply be laid on top of the papyrus and a sponge could be used to just wipe it clean. That's what God does to our sins when we repent and we believe the gospel. And Peter uses the double imperative. He says, repent and turn. It's the same thing he's saying with two different words because he's trying to make a point. He wants them to hear what they are called to do. It's like saying the same thing twice. Like, hurry up. Let's get going now. Repent and turn and find refreshment in Jesus. In verse 20, experience the relief from obligation. Experience the restoration to more of more than just an ability to walk in verse 21 restoration is moving back to where it all begins and it wasn't at birth for that man who was a cripple because he was lame from birth Peter means total forgiveness perfect worship who Peter's looking to is before the fall when sin entered into the world Isaiah 118 says come now Let us reason together, says the Lord, though your sins are like scarlet, they shall be white as snow. In the fall, worship was twisted. It was distorted. And Jesus takes what is twisted for those who believe and repent and brings total transformation. That's why the lame man is the example for us to follow. Physical needs are real. The lame man was physically lame. Spiritual needs are what matters most. Financial needs are real. He was asking for alms, but alms and our resources will pass away as well. The guy's probably still skipping behind them in worshipful joy because of what Jesus did for him. Godliness, as Paul told Timothy in 1 Timothy 4.8, holds a promise for this life, but also for the life to come. And this is made all possible by believing the gospel. Those who believe can repent and turn from their wickedness. Those who don't believe will continue on their path of condemnation and its end, eternal conscious torment. And Peter says, listen to Moses in 22. Listen to the prophets in 23. Listen to Samuel in 24. But what's most important? Listen to the Father. In Matthew's Gospel, Jesus, he went up a mountain. Familiar with the transfiguration, both Moses and Elijah appear before them. We were just singing Moses and prophets, right? And Peter and John, they were amazed. Peter and John were at this mountain of transfiguration. But what is most important about this is not Peter, or or, sorry, Moses and Elijah being there on the mountain. If you're familiar with the story, the Father speaks down from heaven and he says, This is my beloved Son, with whom I am well pleased. This is the important part, guys. Look at me. Listen to him. God said through Moses in Deuteronomy 18, 19, whoever will not listen to my words, that he shall speak in my name. I myself, God speaking, will require it of him. There were penalties to not listening to the prophets, but there are greater penalties to not listening to God. Don't take my word. Turn over to Acts 17 real quick. We'll get to this point probably sometime next year. But Acts 17, verse 30, this is a command of God. The times of ignorance God overlook, but now he commands all people everywhere. In church, that's you and I, to repent, because he has fixed a day on which he will judge the world in righteousness by a man whom he has appointed. And of this, he has given assurance to all by raising him from the dead. God commands us to repent. We don't like that. It's God's words, not mine. The prophets and Peter, they have the same message. Repent and believe. And prophecy is like preaching. Preaching. That's why Peter is preaching a sermon. That's why I'm preaching a sermon. Our greatest need, friends, is to worship, and only Jesus makes that possible so that we might repent. Peter says there is blessing in turning from our wickedness. And I think we can admit, it's not just other folks, it's us that doesn't like to do that. Next week, these brothers who are there in the temple will, will see that they'll uh, be, be arrested. Chapters 3 and 4 are part of one big story, but you don't want to be here for two hours, I'm assuming. Next week, they'll be arrested for proclaiming these truths that the people in their hearing didn't want to hear. We're hard-hearted people. They don't like to repent. And as we wrap up, the main focus of our passage is not the miracle of the healing of the lame man. It's Jesus working in the hearts of those who believe to meet our greatest need. The same power that graciously healed this man who could never walk is the same power that helps us to believe the gospel so that we, friends, might worship God and repent. We can't walk through this passage and miss the call to action. Peter's mission led him to a place of worship. And not everyone there was worshiping, right? Both the lame man and the crowd, they weren't worshiping. And Luke 5 again, we'll go back to that story when Peter was called to become a fisher of men. What's Peter doing in this passage? He's fishing for men. He's listening to what his savior told him he would do. Peter went fishing, he caught one. Fishing happens in a pond or a river, right? Not gonna go in a field and go fishing unless you want to fishing for ticks. A pastor friend of mine told me, you can't enjoy fishing if you don't enjoy casting. Fishermen keep throwing the bait over and over again, cast after cast. And we faithfully trust what we saw last week that God was doing, right? In verse 47, as the Lord added to their number, day by day, those who were being saved. Every day of this man's life, he would get passed by by countless people going into the temple. No one had eyes for him. No one saw him. And no one saw what he truly needed. We are surrounded by a world around us that is blind and dead. Not only did God save you if you believe so that you might turn from your wickedness, but he saved you so that you can go then now be the voice like Peter is to a lost and dying world to call them to repent and believe the gospel as well. And so what do you need to repent of, church? I think it starts by looking in a mirror. Don't go looking for other people. Let's, let's be the type of church that looks at our, in, ourselves in the mirror first because we all need to repent from our wickedness. And Jesus' work for us makes repentance possible by, le- by believing the gospel. And after we look at ourselves in the mirror, then go look out the window. We are surrounded by a lost and dying world. We have, a recon- we have a message of reconciliation and hope. And so may God grant us eyes to see the world around us so that we can go give them and tell them what they truly need. Jonathan Edwards famously said, Lord, stamp eternity on my eyeballs. Can't get much further past that, right? He continues, where will all our worldly enjoyments be? When we are laid in the silent grave, resolved to live as I shall wish I had done when I come to die. Would you pray with me? Father, we thank you that although we were blind and deaf, that our hearts were hard, that you sent your son in the fullness of time, born of a woman, born under the law, so that he might give himself for us, so that we might see him for who he is, that we might behold you for who you are, and that by the grace and the power of your spirit, you, softened our hearts you gave us eyes to see you gave us ears to hear and God we thank you and we proclaim that we believe God would you help us would you help us to be a church that believes every day as we are tempted with distractions, as we are tempted with fear, as we have real physical needs here on this earth, God, that they are nothing compared to the glory that is to be revealed to us. And so God, we want to follow this lame man's example. Maybe not with running around the building, but God, we we want to lift up our voice to Praise you for who you are and what you've done. That you, in your grace, want to love us so that we might in turn love you. And so, God, would you help us? God, would you use us? God, would you give us, even as we go about this week, to have eyes and ears for the people around us, to see their needs, to hear their needs? Uh, and that you'd give us confidence to proclaim the message of the gospel to them, the same message that helped us believe one day. And we pray this all for your glory and our joy, and we pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.